The Productive Woman, Episode 373. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're going to talk about saying no and yes this month and in the coming weeks. You'll find links to some resources that might be helpful and some additional information in the show notes for this episode, which you will find at theproductivewoman.com slash 373. This episode is brought to you by Organize 365 and the Sunday Basket. If your kitchen counter or dining table or desk or, I don't know, your bedside table has been taken over by a sea of paper, the Sunday Basket just might be the perfect solution for you. It's a simple and ingenious tool to help you create systems for your ideas, to-dos, and paper piles that will free your mind, reduce mental clutter, and improve your productivity. The Sunday Basket was developed by Lisa Woodruff of Organize 365. Its purpose is to contain and corral all your ideas, your paper notes, your to-do lists, your mail, that those papers that come home with the kids from school, all that stuff, and keep it safely held until you're ready for your weekly planning time. Uh, You may remember if you've listened for very long that Lisa Woodruff has been a guest on this podcast twice, most recently for episode 308, in which she and I talked about her book, The Paper Solution, which expands on, explains, and kind of develops the Sunday Basket system. Uh, The Sunday Basket system will collect all that incoming paperwork and it will help you apply what she calls the paper solution. It'll hold everything until you have time to process each item so you know where it is when you're ready to get to it. It will help you plan your week for maximum efficiency and keep your papers at your fingertips so you can take action on them, all the while teaching you the skills of organization for all that paper that comes into your life each day. The Sunday basket system has been used by many, many people and has been proven to save up to five hours each week once you've established a weekly habit of using it and managing it. And Lisa says that usually takes about four to six weeks. So in that period of time, by incorporating the Sunday basket system into your routine, you can take back control of your home and your life. You can find out more about the Sunday basket system at sundaybasket.com or try their free seven-day mini course by going to organize365.com slash mini course. And so that's organize365, the digits, organize365.com slash mini course. Definitely check it out if this sounds interesting to you. Okay, so let's get into this week's topic. I have seen a bunch of posts and articles recently, and by recently, I mean this month as I'm recording this, and and maybe as you're listening to it, it is November. And I've seen several posts and articles uh, referring to this month as November, with an emphasis on the no. 
meaning a time to think about things to say no to in order to make your life better and be more productive. One really great explanation of it I saw was um, on the, I think it was on the Instagram account, or maybe it was on the blog of the Life on Purpose movement. I'll put a link in the show notes because it's a really useful blog where it describes November as a time to practice saying no to people, places, and things that drain your energy and a time to say yes to the things that fill you up. So while it sounds kind of negative as a starting point, it actually has a really positive purpose and a positive result if you kind of incorporate it into your life. But seeing all these references got me thinking about some things that we can choose this month or any month for that matter, to say no to as part of our intentional pursuit of a meaningfully productive life, a life that matters as each of us defines it for herself. It's important as the the little quote that I read a minute ago kind of points out that to remember that saying no isn't about depriving yourself or anybody else for that matter, but about making space for the things that really matter to you. So in addition to looking at some things to say no to, some things I've been thinking about that I want to say no to, we're going to also look at what we can say yes to instead of these things. So let's dig into just a, a short list of things that I've been thinking about uh, that, as I said, this these quotes and these articles that I've read got me thinking about what I want to say no to and how I want to turn it around and make space to say yes to things that are better. So the first thing that I thought about as I was as kind of pondering this is destructive comparison. Uh, I've quoted before a, a quote uh that comparison is the thief of joy. And I don't really know who said it. I've seen it attributed to author C.S. Lewis. I've also seen it attributed to former United States President Theodore Roosevelt. So maybe they both said it. I don't know. But there's so much truth to it, whoever said it first. Comparison is the thief of joy. It steals our joy from us when we are comparing ourselves, our homes, our life, our job, our, you know, whatever to other people. And losing joy is not a good thing for our productivity because there are tons of studies that show that joyful, happy people are more productive. So if we want to be productive, if we want to live lives that are meaningfully productive and that matter in the ways that are important to us, we need to say no to destructive comparison. Because one of the negative effects of comparison is that when we are watching others too closely and comparing ourselves to them, it can lead to a kind of envy, which can then drive us to pursue goals we don't actually care about. So we're spending time trying to accomplish or achieve or obtain something that actually if, if we take a step back and really ponder it, we don't care about, we were just trying to, you know, match somebody else. We maybe see someone with a, a certain home or it's a, you know, they decorated it a certain way, or they have a certain drive, a certain car or have a, a particular job or if their family life is, you know, different, we think than what we have, or, 
you know, just their life in general and something in us, maybe something unconscious, maybe we're not really aware of it, uh, but something in us thinks that we need that too. And without really being thoughtful and intentional about whether it's something that actually matters to us and whether it would make our life better to have that thing or to be like that person and to is it worth spending our time, our energy, and our attention on trying to get this thing because we've compared ourselves to someone else and think we've come up lacking? I I don't think that observing other people and what they do and how they do it is all bad, but I'm talking about destructive comparison, the kind of comparison that leaves us feeling less than. One article I read uh, actually called from, uh, it it was called When Comparing Yourself to Others Turns Destructive. Uh, They said it really well. They said, that writer said, the most important thing to understand is that there is a huge difference in energy and outcome between seeing other people's success and using that vision to inspire you versus beating yourself up mercilessly because you're not where they are. The writer says, if comparison makes you feel worthless and demoralized, unable to get what you want and deserve, and you resent others for what they have, it's time to stop comparing or shift your approach to it. And I truly couldn't have said it better. I, that, that was something that really spoke to me when I read this article, um, thinking about where do I compare myself, whether it's um, where I am in my legal career or how this podcast is doing or what my house looks like or my, what my body looks like or any of those things. Am I comparing myself? Am I watching someone else and using what they've accomplished or what they've done as inspiration to, for me to act Or am I simply watching them and thinking, I don't match up, I can't keep up, I don't look like that, and therefore I'm, I'm, as the article put it, worthless and demoralized. When it's that, when you get to that point, it really becomes important to set aside comparison. And so the alternative, what we can say yes to, is to practice being aware when we're comparing ourselves to someone else and to remind ourselves out loud that that other person's life is not mine. She's walking her path and I'm walking mine. I don't know the whole story behind who she is, what she's accomplishing. Even if it's somebody I know very well, I still don't know the whole story. And while I can watch what she's doing and maybe get ideas and inspiration Uh, comparing myself negatively doesn't help. Or for that matter, looking at other people and saying, well, I'm better than that. That doesn't make us feel any better either. We can, as this article notes, learn from others and be inspired by the possibilities that their achievements demonstrate without condemning ourselves for not being where they are. And so I would encourage you, as I'm trying to encourage myself this month and in the weeks to come to say no to destructive comparison and to say yes to being more aware and giving myself permission to be who and and what I am in this time in my life. So that's number one to say no to destructive comparison. The second thing that I'd like 
us all to consider saying no to is what I'm calling unexamined activity. And by that, I mean things we do or agree to do for reasons maybe that we don't like or without really having thought about what it means to agree to do this thing or why we're doing it. And what I'm talking about here is, although this happens any time of year, it often happens around the holidays that we begin to find our schedules just full of events and activities and deadlines, whether at work, at home, or outside the home. If we have kids at home, you know, I remember when our kids were young, um, when we weren't homeschooling them, we would often find that their school would schedule concerts or programs or events around the holiday season, the, the year-end holidays is what I'm talking about here. Churches often plan holiday programs that members are expected to participate in or attend. And they may be really great things, um, but you know, there's, it just adds to the schedule or maybe it's family things like parties or meals with extended family or gift exchanges, or maybe it's things we're doing, you know, in the home or personally, we're decorating our home or doing extra crafts or cooking or baking and, and trying to create this vision of, uh, you know, the, the perfect, uh, um, holiday season for everybody, for ourselves and everybody else. Now, if all these things that we're doing have meaning for us, if they bring us joy or contribute in some way to our well-being or to our relationships, and if we are doing them intentionally and by choice, then all these things are good. I am not suggesting that anybody has to stop doing anything that's meaningful or important to them. I, I think the reason I added, I put this thing on the list is because I, I thought, you know, this idea of November is a great time to pause and reflect on our calendar and just make sure that it's reflecting our values and what matters most to us. We often do things or agree to do things because we don't want to disappoint someone or we don't know how to say no or we feel like it's expected of us instead of it being something that really is, is something we want to do or that adds value and meaning to our life. Uh, and so another blog that I read, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well, because I thought it was really good. It quotes an unknown source for a reminder that we all need sometimes, which is basically to the effect that it's okay to say no uh, and this this quote was, you know, listed reasons why and when it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no if you don't want to do it, or if you're already overscheduled, or if you don't have the time, or if you feel forced to say yes. It's okay to say no if it doesn't make you happy, or if you just rather relax and have a quiet evening at home or or weekend at home or whatever. As this article, this blog post that I read said, it's okay to say no. So when I say, let's say no to unexamined activity, I'm not saying we shouldn't do any of the holiday things that we like to do or the year-end things that are important for our, our career, our job, or our family, or, or for us personally. But the alternative is to give ourselves permission to say yes 
to the invitations and requests and activities and commitments that have meaning to us, that bring value to our lives and no to everything else so that we can create the kind of life and the kind of year end and the kind of schedule that is what we want in our lives. So I think that's a great thing to, to consider this time of year. Uh, and as we're preparing to go into a new year to really give ourselves permission to take a look at what we're doing and say no to those things that don't line up with what matters most to us. Uh, number three on my list, I want to say no to overspending. <laughs> and I invite you to consider that as well. I and and I'm kind of laughing as I say this because, you know, it's it's year end and the holidays are coming and there's we have uh, five grown children and nine. Is that right? Nine grandchildren. And it would be easy to spend lots and lots of money. Um, but I want to try some different things this year. And so I want to say no to overspending. I'm not saying that that I or should or you should say no to spending at all, but to overspending and whatever that might mean for you and for me. It's interesting because I think that whole idea of destructive comparison can lead to overspending as we try to keep up with or measure up to the people we're watching and comparing ourselves to. And so that can lead to this overspending. Uh, in addition, many of us use spending money as a way of sort of dealing with or, or not really dealing with uncomfortable feelings, uh, emotions, and that sort of thing. What, what uh, life coach Brooke Castillo refers to as buffering. She talks about how some people buffer their, their uncomfortable emotions by using food or alcohol or other substances or work uh, or any number of things. Some of us buy things to make ourselves feel better when we're feeling, you know, uh, less than or anxious or bored or, you know, whatever. Some of us buy things to make up for a perceived lack elsewhere, maybe out of boredom or maybe buying lots of stuff for kids to alleviate that mom guilt for, for working too much. Or some of us buy things to try to please or impress other people. And I think most of us don't do any of these things intentionally. We just find ourselves doing certain things without really having thought about why we're spending the money, why we're doing this thing. And so the alternative, what, what I would say, if, if I'm going to say no to overspending, what I, we can say yes to is being more conscious of what we're spending and why we're spending it. Uh, we can say yes to making a budget, say for the holidays, for gift giving and that sort of thing and sticking to it. We can certainly say yes to do the doing the work to address those uncomfortable emotions and to find alternative ways to soothe our feelings or our boredom. Uh, there are some great thoughts uh, on this idea of avoiding overspending in a post on the Life on Purpose movement website, which I, I mentioned that website earlier. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. But one of the things that I saw that they said on that website that I thought was really good as you're out, you know, 
spending money and thinking about buying something, one of their tips was, if you didn't need it before it was on sale, you don't need it now. And we could get into this whole thing about, you know, money and saving money by buying things on sale and shopping sales and stuff like that. But this one really kind of spoke to me, um, uh, as I have a tendency to, oh, it's on sale. I need to get it because look how much money I'd be saving. But it, it really is true. And I thought this was a good reminder for me, certainly, and maybe for you as well, that if you didn't need it before it was on sale, you don't need it now. And so spending money to buy something on, that you don't need just because it's on sale isn't saving you a penny. So anyway, that's uh, just as kind of a side note. Uh, the third thing I want to say no to this month and in the coming weeks is overspending and instead say yes to using my money more consciously and intentionally for things that matter more. Kind of related to that, but a little bit different is number four, I want to say no to mindless accumulation. And this kind of goes on the same thing. Those of us who spend money, who buy things because getting something new or having, as my husband will tell you, happens probably more often than it should, the Amazon truck pull up in front of the house um, to get that kind of jolt of, of uh, you know, good feelings and excitement of getting something new without really thinking about, do I need this? Why do I need this? What am I going to do with it? In the article I was just mentioning from the Life on Purpose Movement site, another thing that they said in that article was, you don't have to own things to enjoy them. And I thought that was interesting. And in the article, she goes into, I think it's, I think the author is Erica Lane, who founded the Life on Purpose Movement movement. I might be wrong there, but in any event, she talks about ways you can enjoy certain things without owning them and filling up your space with them. She also points out something we all know, and we've talked about on this podcast many times, that everything you buy becomes something you have to manage. Everything you buy is something you have to clean or maintain uh, move around, find a place for, um, walk around if it's in the, you know, if it's cluttering up your space. And so it behooves us to say no to mindless accumulation. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy anything or that I shouldn't buy anything, but be intentional about it. Uh, from the parenting blog, Let's Lasso the Moon um, on their Instagram post, they quoted a, a woman named, I think it's Miriam Hasna, saying, your home is an extension of your energy field. This is why practices like cleaning your home, rearranging furniture, organizing your closet, and getting rid of the things that are cluttering your space can have a profound impact on your mind, body, and spirit. And I, I think that's really true. And so mindless accumulation is a, a little different from overspending or overbuying because it's about not just acquiring things, but hanging on to them long after they have served their purpose in your life. And so 
I want to say no to that. I want to be quicker to let things go, not just quicker to not buy things, but also quicker to let things go that are taking up space in my home, my office, my head, and um, making room for the things that matter more. So if I'm saying no, if, if we are saying no to mindless accumulation, we can say yes to being mindful about what we own and why we own it. And so maybe instead of acquiring things, we can invest time and money in experiences rather than objects for ourselves, for our children, for those we give gifts to. Saying no to mindless accumulation doesn't mean just for us personally, but for everybody in our circle, we can maybe help them accumulate less stuff uh, by giving experiences or arranging for experiences rather than objects. It's easy to go on Amazon and, you know, buy some neat thing and have it shipped to someone you love as a gift, but maybe a better gift. I'm, and I'm just, you know, I've been thinking about this because we're, you know, heading into the Christmas season here. Um, maybe a better gift would be to take the time and thought to, create an experience, whether it's an outing, you know, maybe, maybe I want to schedule a, 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 some kind of special event with one or more of my granddaughters when they, when they come to visit or when I go down there instead of buying them something else, just a thought. So that's one thing we can say yes to when we say no to mindless accumulation, we can invest in experiences rather than objects. We can also say yes to start thinking before you buy and decide before you pay where the item will go. In other words, don't buy it unless you have a specific home for it. That That's a very thoughtful, intentional way of acquiring things. And to create space for the things that you want, for new things that you want, uh, another thing we can do is practice the one in and one or maybe two out rule. So one in, one out, or one in, two out. And you can decide for yourself what categories to exclude. But the idea is if you buy a new thing, something else has to go. So if you buy a new white blouse, you know, one of your other 10 white blouses has to find a new home uh, for someone else or whatever. For me right now, I'm not going to follow this rule for books. I don't, I have the space for them. I love books. The books that I own bring me joy. I read them, I pull them out and reread them and I have plenty of space for them. So I'm not going to practice that one in one out rule for my books, but there are other things that I can definitely do this for clothing items, decor items, um, kitchen gear. You know, if I buy a new, I don't know, pan, maybe one or two others can go to a charity shop or something. So that's a way of making sure that you have space for the things that you buy and that you've thought about it before you bring it home, where you're going to put it and how you're going to make space for it. If you have a lot of a certain category, whether it's clothes or books or uh, children's toys or kitchen utensils, anything like that, decor items, consider planning time to purge that category of things 
and do a little good in the world by donating the items, uh, the excess items that you have that are in good condition to a charity that can make them available to someone who can use them. Maybe extra clothing to one of those programs that helps prepare women for new jobs. Or if you have extra children's toys, uh, give them to a shelter or extra books to your church's library to, or to if you, your kids are in a private school, maybe to the school library, things like that. But think about the categories of things that you have that you can maybe purge and do something good for someone else by donating those items that really aren't serving a purpose for you anymore to someone who can use them well. So that's number four. Number five that I want to say no to, and I invite you to do the same, is isolation. And I'm not... I'm not talking about solitude, which we've talked about in a couple of recent episodes. I'm not talking about spending time, even a lot of time alone. These are good things that we all need to some degree and that have benefits to us and to our productivity. When I say saying, when I talk about saying no to isolation, I'm talking about saying no to those walls that keep us separated and disconnected from other people, even when we're around them. And there are lots of things that cause those walls to go up, either on our side or or on somebody else's side. Uh, Shame can put up walls that isolate us from uh, other people. Comparison, which we've already talked about. Resentment, misunderstandings a lack of empathy. Those are all things that can put up walls that isolate us from other people, both people we know well, people we don't know as well. What I really thought about in all of this was how many people, myself included, I've had conversations with a lot of people in the last few months about feeling lonely and isolated. And I just think it's so interesting because you know, social media is ubiquitous. Most of us are on one or more social media platforms. And you would think social media would enable conversations with a broad circle, even a broader circle of people than we could actually ever interact with in person. And yet it seems to do the opposite. One article about loneliness and its impact on workplace productivity notes that 61% of Americans reported that they felt lonely in 2020, and more than a third reported feeling a general sense of emptiness or disconnection from others when they are at work. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, One study a few years ago out of the University of Pittsburgh here in the United States focused on young adults between the ages of 19 and 32. And it found that, and I'm quoting from uh, an article about it now, people who reported spending the most time on social media, more than two hours a day, had twice the odds of perceived social isolation than those who said they spent a half hour per day or less on those sites. The article goes on to say, and people who visited social media platforms most frequently, 58 visits per week or more, had more than three times the odds of perceived social isolation than those who visited fewer than nine times per week. 
Isn't that interesting? Because you would think that people who are on social media interacting with the people there would feel more connected rather than less. But the truth is that's not the case. Now, the authors of this study warn us that the results don't necessarily mean that we should all stop using social media because it does have some benefits, um, connective benefits and that sort of thing. And they acknowledge that more research is needed to understand the reasons why this was the case and how it translates to other age groups. Because as I mentioned, this particular study looked at uh, adults between the ages of 19 and 32. But we have all experienced the negative aspects of social media, feeding feelings of inadequacy, um, heated and often insulting arguments with people you know, and even with people you don't know, if you haven't participated in those, I would bet you've seen them on social media. The truth is that social media and even something that came became so common over the last year or so because of the COVID lockdowns and, you know, work, working from home and everything, video conferencing uh, on services like Zoom or Teams, even that cannot replace face-to-face connection with other human beings. I read a really interesting Forbes article titled Loneliness is Crippling Workplace Productivity. Here's the Leadership Prescription. And that article cites one study's findings that, and I'm quoting here, respondents who interacted with others daily, for instance, had an average loneliness score that was nearly 20 points lower than those who never did. And that same article quoted a man named Dan Schauble author of a book called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. So he's calling this the age of isolation. And he said, technology has created the illusion that workers are connected when in reality, they feel isolated, lonely, disengaged, and less committed to their organizations when overusing or misusing it meaning uh, technology. Now, this article is talking about the workplace, but certainly the same is true of other areas of our life. When we are using technology, social media, video conferencing, things like that, text messaging, and all of those things, in the place of face-to-face interaction with other people, we get hurt. Uh, Chris Bailey, who is the author of The Productivity Project, uh, wrote a post on the Lifehack website that I will link to. It's it's kind of interesting and it's worth a read. Uh, he call, The article is called The Top 10 Things I Learned About Productivity, Living in Total Isolation for 10 Days. And so basically, and he talks about this in the book too, that he, for 10 days, huddled down in the basement of, of, of I don't remember if it was his parents' home or his in-laws' home or something like that working on a project to see what impact that isolation would have. And number six on his list is this, digital connections provide a much smaller return than real connections. He goes on to say, real connections are deeper, more valuable, and provide greater returns as you invest more time and energy into them. The problem is, and maybe you're like me with this, this is him talking, I invest way more time into my digital connections than my real connections. 
And so that's a question to ask ourselves. Are we spending more time on those digital connections, the social media connections, text messaging, um, all those sorts of things, than we are looking people in the eye face-to-face in each other's presence and building those relationships. And as I sort of alluded to earlier, this disconnect, I guess, between digital connections and real-life connections is even more pronounced and it's even more problematic if our digital connections include exposure to or participation in those harsh, negative, and divisive conversations. And I'm using air quotes because I I don't really categorize many of them as conversations that seem to dominate most of the social media platforms. I've been thinking about this a lot in the last year. I can't be sure which is the cause and which is the effect. I don't know if you know, we got more uh, intolerant and sort of started replacing real connections with these digital ones, or if all the time we've spent digitally connecting instead of connecting in real, real time and the uh, isolation that has come from these COVID lockdowns and things like that, I don't know if that's caused what I'm seeing, but what I've, I've seen is we seem as a people, as a society, to have lost our ability to empathize with or even to tolerate people who don't believe as we do. It feels to me like society has become more stratified, more deeply divided along ideological lines, and that can leave us disconnected blocked off from more and more people as we write them off because they don't think the way we do. And our circle of acceptable people gets smaller and smaller. And I personally want to say no to this isolation and this disconnection. And in place of that, I want in the weeks and months to come to say yes to listening more, uh, to that is to listening to understand rather than just waiting for my opportunity to tell them how wrong they are. So listening to understand rather than to refute. I I want to say yes to not being too quick to dismiss people who think differently than I do. I want to say yes to opening my heart and my home to more people to both broaden my circle and to go deeper with some of those people. I want to intentionally make time for in-person time with the people I love. I think in in particular of my mother who lives not far from me, but I hardly ever see her. We, you know, we connect pretty regularly um, with text messages and things like that, but it's, it's not the same for all the reasons I've just talked about. I, you know, I want to do something about that. I want to say yes to sitting in a room with my mom and talking with her about her life and and mine and and connecting with her before it's too late, frankly. And finally, number six, uh, the sixth thing I want to say no to, and I encourage you to say no to, is surrendering your power. And this is not as woo-woo as it might sound. What I'm talking about here in particular, there's lots of ways where we give up our 
our power and our autonomy uh, to to make our life mean what we want it to mean. But the one that's come to my mind lately, I guess just from personal experience, is passive worry. That is stewing about things that I either can't or don't do anything about. And I have a tendency to do that. And I know I'm not the only one. And in this context, I've been thinking a lot about that that span of control concept we talked about with Carrie Lorenz in episode 365. If we are thinking about things outside our span of control, if we are thinking about things we can't do anything about, then by definition, we're not taking any productive action about the things that are within our span of control. And as a result, we see ourselves as powerless because our thoughts are focused on things we actually don't have any power over. And so what I want to say yes to instead of this is taking action. Same issue sort of tied in with this whole passive worry about stewing about things I can't or don't do anything about is the the only phrase I could think of or the term I could think of for it was resignation. That is being resigned to things being a way I don't want them to be, giving up my ability to to make a change. In the, doing that, I surrender my power to do something. And it's the same issue. It happens when I am focused on things I can't do anything about. And there are lots of things in life we can't control or even do anything about. We can't change other people. And sometimes we can't change our circumstances, at least not, you know, immediately. But rather than dwelling on those things, which means we are surrendering our power over our own life, we can instead turn our minds to figuring out what we can do. So instead of surrendering my power and worrying passively or giving up hope um, that, that anything can, can be done, when we catch ourselves worrying, we can pause and ask ourselves, okay, yep, that's right. I can't do anything about that. What can I do right now? And find something, no matter how small it is, that's within our power to do, and then do it. And we begin to take back power. And maybe it's something little, you know, maybe life is just crazy and chaotic. And maybe the only thing we can do is, uh, you know, empty the dishwasher or make the bed or, you know, something that seems so small. But in doing that, we are reasserting our power over our surroundings and taking control back into our own hands. And that builds momentum over time. I really believe it does. And it's far, far more productive than sitting around thinking about, you know, meditating on the things that are going on in the world or in our lives that we can't do anything about. And I want to say no to surrendering my power and say yes to taking action in the areas where I can. So those are six things that I'm thinking about saying no to and that I encourage you to ponder as well. 
But what do you think? What are you saying no to during this November to make room for a better yes in your own life? I'd love to hear from you about this. You can share your thoughts on this in the comments section of the show notes at theproductivewoman.com slash 373, or post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page, or if you'd prefer to interact with me privately about this, share your thoughts with me. You can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I would love to hear from you. Uh, Remember to, if if one way that you want to reassert your power is to get your, your home and your papers back in order, you can check out that Sunday Basket system by going to sundaybasket.com. And you can even try their free seven-day mini course that will get you started on this process by going to organize365.com slash mini course. I will have these links in the show notes. So if you're driving right now, you don't have to remember it. Just go to the show notes for this episode and you'll find it there. And thank you so much to Organize 365 for supporting the Productive Woman podcast and Productive Women Everywhere. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I sincerely hope you feel like it was time well spent and that there was something in here that uh, will be helpful to you as you go into the rest of your day. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. Matter.